Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Good morning. Well, sometimes you play injured and um, appreciate my sweet wife coming in here and taking one for the team this morning and singing through that. But I, you know, when stuff like that happens, it's, uh, we kind of embrace it. Southside, that's kind of a Southside thing. We just embrace and expect not everything to go perfectly right. And we also like it that our services are not perfectly polished because um, you could spend a lot of time in a lot of ways making sure that everything goes off without a, without a hitch and miss being able to focus on the most important things, which is a zeal and fervency and passion for Jesus. So we want to make disciples who are resilient, that who don't need services to go perfectly without a hitch, and uh, we will never be a church that focuses on the excellency of production, but instead the excellency of Christ. So sometimes in our weakness, um, God shines through most clearly. So I appreciate Kara operating and functioning in weakness today. And one of the things that I noticed was how beautiful it sounds hearing your voices and our voices together singing. So we can take advantage of this opportunity for that. My aunt, Ruth, is a wonderful musician. She um, plays multiple instruments. Uh, she has played organ and piano for her church for, I think she played for decades. She taught music. Um, and she married a man named Todd. Todd is also a very gifted musician, like incredible. And I was thinking back this week to a time we were in, I think Julie and Nicole and I were all in Ruth and Todd's house, and they, were they both playing? The, they were both playing together the piano, right? And Ruth was singing Majesty. They were both playing, and it was harmonizing, and the way that it was, it just sounded so full and beautiful. We were just looking at each other like, this is heavenly, this is this is incredible, it sounds so beautiful. What's particularly interesting about that is that Todd is 100% completely blind. Like, not legally blind, where you can still see images walking around like trees, but 100% blind, nothing, zero sight. Imagine, I went over to Ruth and Todd's house on a hot August day, where the sun is just blazing bright, like the type of blazing bright where if you don't have like dark brown eyes, you go outside and you're just blinded by how bright the sun is. You just start, is anybody on a day like that, you just start crying, you have like light green eyes, you just start crying when you go outside and it's really bright. You start getting this ocular headache, like it is way too bright outside right now. Imagine it's one of those days. And I bring Todd outside. And I tell Todd, look up at the sun. Look up how bright that sun is. 
no matter how bright the sun is, he ain't seeing a thing. He will not see the sun. It doesn't matter how bright it is because he is completely, utterly blind. Everyone in this room was born completely spiritually blind. And Hebrews 1.3 describes Jesus as the radiance of the glory of God. And there's moments in the Gospels where we see that he literally physically radiates with light, like the transfiguration, which is what the church um, at large is celebrating today, the transfiguration of Jesus, the fact that the disciples were able to see him in a bit of his glory by physical brightness coming out of his person, just light. But if Jesus stood in front of us, in our natural state when we were born, we're born in spiritual uh, blindness, and Jesus stood in front of us in all of his glory, in our natural state, we wouldn't see his glory. We would just see him as a regular man. The problem is our spiritual blindness. There's another problem, though. And that is there's a very dark figure in Scripture who is wandering around the earth with malicious intent. And here's what he's doing. When someone is trying to show a friend the goodness of God in Christ through the gospel, when someone is sharing this good news, gospel's good news, it's meant to be shared, it's meant to be told, it's about a, a real historical event that actually happened that God accomplished for us that we might live with him forever we might experience the salvation which is quality and quantity of life it's really really good news what Jesus did it's meant to be shared so what this dark figure with malicious intent is doing is as I'm sharing this with a friend or loved one who hasn't yet seen Jesus for who he is the son of God who came to take away the sins of the world this dark figure with malicious intent, as I'm sharing that news, is going over to that person metaphorically and putting a veil over their head so that they can't see, understand, receive the truth of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-6 through 6 talks about this. So we're going to we're going to look at it together. If you have your sermon notes, you can follow along there. There are no slides this morning. You can open up your Bible if you'd like. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6. I'll get my glasses on because I'm not blind, but might as well be when I don't have these puppies on. It's getting worse. I just expected it to get better as I got older. All right. 2 Corinthians 4, we're going to start with verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In other words, it's veiled to people who are outside of God's family, outside of God, when you are not connected to God, when you don't have union with God in Christ, you are <laughs> technically dead. Because he is the source of all life, so you're spiritually dead, and you, it doesn't get any better unless you get connected to God through Christ. So 
That's what it means by those who are perishing. You will spend eternity in a terrible place apart from God in all that is good and loving. That's what it means to perish. You become less human. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So there it is. The God of this world, Satan, God's archenemy, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. In Acts 26, verse 18, Paul was talking to King Agrippa, and he was describing this this second half of life assignment that God was giving him. And he said that God told him he would be sent to the Gentiles. Jesus said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes. That's Acts 26, 18. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God. I think it's helpful to understand a little bit more of, about Satan. Who is this figure? What is he doing? Because we have to understand that he is malicious. His intentions are malicious because we have people in our lives surrounding us who are under his power, who are under his control because they've been blinded to the truth of the gospel in Jesus. So it it will help to know a little bit more about him. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I will refer you to where I got this information from. uh, You can Google it. It's called A Handbook of Enemy Strategies by John Piper. It's just some notes on a teaching that he did, and that title is in your notes. But in it, John Piper says, Christianity stands or falls with the reality of Satan and demons. It stands or falls with that reality. Why? Because Jesus spent his whole ministry fighting them. If they are not real, he's reduced to a comic figure, a make-believe superhero. Jesus actually fought against, in spiritual ways, against Satan, against demons. He was dragging people out of the darkness. So here are some tactics that Piper out. Satan casts doubt on God's goodness. Have you ever felt that way? Have you had friends or loved ones that have felt that way? Satan shuts down travel plans that would strengthen and spread the gospel. In March of 2020, I was supposed to go to Malawi. We were going to create a partnership with uh, this Southern Africa country where we were going to single-handedly oversee the planting of churches under the umbrella of our denomination, the FEC, it got shut down. I'm not sure if Satan wasn't behind some of that. Satan avoids, um, he helps, he, he forces us to avoid inner need by removing external trouble. That's why when someone's going through difficulty, we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but sometimes the worst thing that you can pray is make it easy for them. Fix their situation. Smooth their life out. That's not always the best answer because then it makes it appear as though we don't actually need God's help. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. That's today's passage, 2 Corinthians 4.4. He misuses Scripture. He twists it and makes it sound like you know, the people that wrote Scripture were bigots or idiots or hypocrites, which they were. 
and we are too. That's the point of the gospel, because we're not the heroes of the story. Jesus is. He takes broken and dirty people and cleans them up and drops them back into their life. Satan causes dissension over doctrine and causes rifts in churches. That's We don't see that much today. He takes advantage of unresolved anger. I'm sorry, that was sarcasm. (laughs) He takes advantage of unresolved anger. He promotes pride. Yeah. We're dealing with a very dangerous, dark, foul spirit who was created by God but went rogue. And now he's trying to mess it up for the rest of us. And Satan's core conviction that he wants to bake into every human being is that life apart from God seems to be working out okay. That's the core conviction behind everything that he, every strategy he has. Life apart from God seems to be working out just fine for me. That's what he's been said, saying since the very beginning. He said it to the first two human beings. So for us to see the brightness and beauty of of Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, for us to see that requires an act of God. I can't logic my way to seeing Jesus for who he actually is. It requires a miracle for us to realize who Jesus is. It requires a second creation. Hey, okay, what what were the first words that God said in the Bible? Anybody know? The very first words. In the, in the beginning. Well, God spoke through the Bible in that way, but what did God specifically say? What was the first quote that literally this is God? In the beginning is right because it's the Bible and it's God speaking through the Bible, so you got me. But what was like God proper? What was his first words? Let there be light. So he looked at chaos. He looked at darkness. The spirit was hovering over like a bird, hovering over chaos and darkness. And God said, let there be light. What happened? There was light. That was the first creation. We require the same thing to become new creations. There's currently two creations. There's the natural creation, and there's little tiny dots of new creation walking around and sitting in this room right now. God decided to overlap new creation with the old creation by putting his spirit in those who entrust themselves to Jesus. So in the same way God said, let there be light in the first creation, he needs to cause light in the second creation. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That's the second creation. Start with verse 5, and this will shine a little bit more light on that. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He is, what did he do? He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, in order to see Jesus for who he really is, which is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact exact imprint of God, which is Hebrews 1.3, we require God to shine in our hearts 
and give us revelation and knowledge and insight to be able to see Jesus for who he really is. For some people, that's a very slow dawning of light, like a, a, a sunrise where it begins to light up horizon just a little bit at a time until eventually it's in full blast at noon and you can see everything. For some people, we realize who Jesus is just a tiny little bit at a time. You hear a song on a radio that's it's like some worship song or something and it strikes you and it feels meaningful to you for some reason. It hits you different than some of the other music and because it has truth in it and you just pause but you move on and then you you hear a friend sharing about something that God has done in their life and it it sticks with you like wow God can move that way in real time and people in real people's lives and it stays with you you're exposed somehow to a scripture passage and it connects with you. And just little by little by little over the years, you make these connections and the light slowly dawns. For other people, it's like a flash of lightning and it happens immediately. This is Paul on the road to Damascus where suddenly he sees this bright light. It's Jesus. And he realizes immediately that I need to turn away from what I was doing to Jesus. An immediate change. We probably all can identify somewhere in that continuum of how it happened for us, either immediately or very slowly or pretty quickly, but not immediately. We can all identify how it's happened to us. So this is going to be a little shorter lesson today because of communion, but I want to end with saying, with some application, what do I do if I or a friend of mine, this is in your notes, hasn't been given, hasn't yet been given the light of the knowledge of the of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, what if, what if I have a friend, or what if it's me? And I, I always hope that there's people in here who are still exploring, because we want to be a safe, gentle place for you to explore some difficult questions about God and about what He's done for us without sensing any condemnation, any pride on our part. You know, the only reason we know anything is because God has given us insight as a gift, and He's Willing to do that for you too. So, how can, how can I approach this situation if I don't yet, or if a friend of mine doesn't yet see Jesus for who he really is, considering that it takes an act of God? Because remember, it's like bringing Todd Swollen out to, in the middle of the day, in the middle of August, to look up at the sun and say, Look how bright it is. He's blind. He doesn't see it. So what could we do to help? It'd be like going up to someone who is spiritually blind and saying, how can you not get this? Look at this passage. It's so clear. What's your problem? Why don't you understand? That doesn't work. That's the point. They need their eyes to be open. And Scripture does that. There's ways that we can smooth the path for them. The first thing that I in your notes is pray. Because this requires God to move, and because God responds to prayers of faith, that's a good place to start. But be careful how you pray. Because imagine someone that you know is who 
is not yet in the kingdom, is not yet in God's family, and life begins to fall apart. I alluded to this earlier. Life begins to fall apart. How are you going to pray for them? Be careful. You might want to pray and ask God how you should pray for them. Because let's just say you pray that things just get smoothed out and life gets easy for them again. And let's just say that God was planning on using that struggle like he often does to get them to surrender control of their life to turn to him because they can't fix this situation. It might be their failure that they need to learn to surrender to God. It might be me failing to let me see that I need to learn to surrender to God. So don't pray for easy living for them. God can and will use a struggle. When I went through a time of um, rejecting God in college and um, things started to fall apart for me, it would have been unhelpful for a community of people just to start saying, hey, just help God, or just help Greg start making really good decisions again. Just help him to get out of this mess that he's got himself into. Um, don't let things like get really hard for him. If people would have been praying that way for me, it would have been completely helpful because it was in the middle of the pit of despair of those moments that I realized, I can't fix this. And I think there were probably, probably people praying, allow him to continue to experience the fruit of his own decisions until he sees there's only one way out. This is a quote from Bill Dodrum. My wife and I heard this last night or yesterday on the way home from sectional swim. And I said, oh, can you text that to me? Here's what it is. You ready? This is so good. Bill Dodrum, dog wisdom. Our belief of what we think God should do often blinds us to what God is actually doing. I'm going to say it again. Our belief of what we think God should do often blinds us to what God is actually doing. So pay attention. Be attentive to how God is working in the hearts of the people around us. Maybe he wants them to fail. And our belief that they shouldn't fail, make it easier for them, is going to get in the way of what God's actually trying to accomplish through that. Let it happen. Here are some ways that we can consider praying before we go to the second thing. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, the NIV says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people and is an incomparably great power for us who believe. That's a good way to pray. If you are figuring this thing out and you're still skeptical or if you know someone that has, you can pray. Enlighten the eyes of my heart. Open my eyes. You, Jesus, you healed, it. you healed blind people, physically blind people, and opened their eyes. Do the same thing for me spiritually. Acts 16, 14. That, uh, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. No idea. A seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That's why I only measure... Uh, I, I have this memorized, but only the second sentence. And I just realized why I only measure the second sentence. There's a hard word in the first one. All right. Um, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So you have this lady, you have this, this who was a big player. I mean, she hosted the Philippian church, which was probably 12 to 15 people and most of them women. Big player. 
did a lot, gave a lot for the kingdom. Hero. She's, if there are people hero in the Bible, the main hero is Jesus, obviously, but if there are people heroes, she's probably one of them. And it happened because the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. In other words, I can pray for that every Sunday for our gathering, that God would open the hearts of people to actually pay attention to what God is saying through his word. That's a great way to pray. And finally, then he said to his disciples, this is Matthew 9, 37, 38, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. If you have loved ones who are far from God, you can pray that God would send them winsome people that they can relate to, that don't feel crazy to them, that feel normal, that have a sense of humor or an ability to relate easily, that are personable and can articulate beautifully the message of Jesus in a way that they will understand. I mean, you can pray that. Number two, and this is the last one, always be alert to opportunities and ready to share the reason for your hope. That's 1 Peter 3.15. And this is, again, pay attention to what's happening in the hearts of the people you care about. You know, when you have someone who is not quite ready to surrender their life to Christ, and you go to them with your guns loaded and you barrel over them with scripture, you're probably going to create more resistance. The most harmful evangelistic moments in my life have happened when out of frustration, I've tried to force feed friends scripture. I'm just going to sit, you're going to hear it. You're going to hear it from me today. Sit down and listen. <laughs> That's so silly. It only hardens the soil. The most fruitful evangelistic moments have happened when I've prayerfully asked, Lord, would you help me be attentive to what is happening in the topography of their heart so that I can meet it with your grace? Jesus is already working. He says, and Jesus instructs, his disciples in John 16, 8, that the Spirit is convicting the world of sin. So our job is just to look for the ways that God might be at work in someone's heart and join him. There's um, hua, I think is how you say it. It's wind, spirit. It's a Hebrew word used in the Old Testament. It occurs three, 378 times in the Old Testament. Bruce Walkey in his Old Testament theology says, this word literally denotes wind with the connotation that it has the power to set other things in motion. In other words, you're looking, asking, praying for ways that the Spirit is setting things in motion in the hearts of people that you care about to see if there's an opportunity for you to partner with God in that. That means listening, praying for them without judgment or condemnation, being cautious of your own pride which will make you useless and only cause you to barrel over people. 
It involves being gentle. It involves being curious. It involves asking more questions than giving answers. It involves being attentive. Now, ready to share. By that, I don't necessarily mean to have a a canned gospel presentation ready. I still believe those have a place, but I also think a canned presentation can sometimes cause us to miss the nuance of the opportunity because it makes it mechanical instead of personal. So it's okay for you to have this clear pathway for for you to walk people through, but make sure you're keeping in step with where they're at. You're speaking the truth clearly. You're presenting the gospel clearly, and you're not shying away from it. You're being bold in that and gentle and loving and in step with their curiosity about it. And the way that you do that is saturate yourself with gospel truths from Scripture and depend on the Holy Spirit to give you the words and direction in the moment. So you fill yourself up with gospel truths, and then it comes out gently through discernment in the right way at the right time with the right person. If your heart is overflowing with wonder and amazement at the gospel of Jesus, you'll be equal to the moment to speak it in a natural way. So here's a convicting question for all of us. Are you in more wonder and amazement of God's grace today than you were a year ago? Not, have you learned more about the Bible this year? We had a conversation about this. We had a John Owen night, and Owen's huge on communion with God, which means relating with God in a way through our union, which is permanent, communing with God in a, in a way that raises our intimacy, affection, and love for Jesus because of His grace extended to us. So, are you in more wonder and amazement of God's grace than you were a year ago? And whatever your life situation is, it's designed to enable that to happen no matter what the life situation is. Are you more in awe of Jesus? If you... oh. Don't get me started, Jay. (laughs) Don't get me started. I love that. But wow, if there was ever a worthy amen movement in the history of Southside, it would be right there. Because if that stops, this thing becomes dead. It becomes lifeless. It loses power. And we don't really do much impressive for the kingdom. Are you in more wonder and amazement of God's grace today than you were a year ago? And if so, how so? You ha- nothing becomes dynamic until it becomes specific. So how so? You might be saying, yes, I am. How? How are you in more wonder of God's grace in the gospel of Jesus? Are you really? It's a tough question. It's one that I'm wrestling with right now. Let me use this to plug our winter practice. I was really hoping I had this. That was really scary because I was reaching in here for this. I couldn't remember if I put it in my pocket. All right, our winter practice is you get a four by six card and you write a verse on it. 
and you walk around with it, and you read it multiple times a day, and you ask God to allow it to be baked into your DNA as a disciple of Jesus, and you think about it a lot, this is one of the ways that you can hyper-increase the wonder of the goodness of God in your life. So I, had, I, was, I was doing uh, Psalm 103, 13, and 14, but you're allowed changing it if, as long as you've done it for several weeks. So I have a new one, and it's 1 Chronicles 16, 11. It's seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. And I'm sitting with a few questions right now. And one of my questions is, what would it look like if I actually took that seriously? Not just church sermoned it like, yeah, that's a good thought. That's a good thought. But actually, like, took it seriously. If I actually sought the Lord's presence every now and again, few times a day, once a week, continually. A weird thing happens when you begin to seek the presence of the Lord continually. He communicates His love to you. And the gospel becomes a part of you. So that when an opportunity comes to share the light of the gospel in a winsome, loving, clear way, with someone who the Spirit is working to remove this veil. You're so full of the goodness and wonder of Jesus, it just comes out of you. You don't have to wordsmith it. You don't have to think about saying it perfectly. You don't have to have a plan. You don't have to have memorized a presentation. You just love them with clarity and truth in words into the kingdom. That's the privilege that God has given us. All right, that's what we learned today. Satan is hard at work attempting to veil the message of salvation in Jesus, the radiance and exact imprint of God, and our responsibility is to partner with the Holy Spirit in removing that veil. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.